Take out your Bibles, turn over to Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. We'll get there in a few moments. First, you want to take out your notes and have those as well as we begin to study on Galatians. There's a Mariner's Museum in Newport News, Virginia, and there they have amazing Navy vessels and ships of all kind, but they have this really small, unique craft. It's a self-made aluminum kayak from scraps of metal. And there's a plaque there that tells a story about why this simple aluminum craft is in this beautiful maritime museum. See, in 1966, Lorenzo and Consula lived in Cuba, very oppressive totalitarian regime. And Lorenzo was a auto mechanic and uh, so he and his wife decided they wanted to escape out of Cuba and go to Florida. So they began to gather, and gather scraps of aluminum and metal, and they welded and put this thing together. And then Lorenzo put together, took one of a, uh, his uh, lawnmower engine and put it on the back of this kayak. It was only big enough for two people. They decided to wear their swimsuits. They only had enough food and water for two days. And so one moonless night, they set out away from Cuba, headed to the Keys of Florida. Well, 70 hours later, they were picked up by the Coast Guard and rescued. And it's interesting what Lorenzo said about his escape from Cuba. He said, when one has grown up in liberty, you realize how important it is to have freedom. We live in the enormous prison, which is Cuba, where one's life is not worth one crumb where one goes out into the street and does not know whether or not one will return because the political police can arrest you without any warning and put you in prison. Before this could happen to us, we thought that going into the ocean and risking death or being eaten by sharks is a million times better than to stay suffering under political oppression, end of quote. People all over the world are hungering for freedom. From the human standpoint, we think of it as a, being free to choose and do what we want to do in a lawful manner. But there's a much deeper bondage that humanity experiences, and that is slavery to sin. It's a weight that holds us down and limits what we can do. And until we come to faith in Christ and understand the gospel, we're stuck in the cycle and you fill in the blank of whatever it is, sin, based on our personality, our propensity to choose what we want to do to satisfy ourselves. And I believe that all of us have different sins that we're prone to because of the way God made us, but also the way that sinful nature works with our personalities. And even for a Christ follower, we get hung up on besetting or habitual sins. We go through the cycle of sinning, of repenting, of asking for forgiveness, and then we walk for a short or a long time in some sort of victory over that sin, only to at some point possibly regress and go back into that. And I have that issue with certain sins. And if you're a Christ follower and honest, you have one or two sins that it just seems out of reach of reaching and gaining victory over them. So the book of Galatians is about liberating freedom. Christ comes to us as our own personal deliverer to break the chains of sin in our lives. So let's start looking at the background and some fast facts about the great book of Galatians. Now I know for some at this point, it's not something you're real interested in, but I think it's good for us to get context. And some of you like history and background, so I want to give you some of that as we think of this book. 
The book of Galatians has been given many different titles to describe it and its importance in relationship with the other books in the New Testament. Some have called it the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. What was the Magna Carta in history? Well, it was a royal charter of rights agreed to by King John of England in Windsor on June 15, 1215. And it was published that year. Galatians is the great charter of Christian freedoms for the Christ follower. It's not a license to do whatever we want, but a license to follow the law of Christ that's written in our hearts as believers with the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Galatians is known as the battle cry of the Reformation, another name for it. Another call it the Christian's declaration of independence from the slavery of sin to become the willing servant or slave of Christ. Martin Luther said this about this great book. He said, the epistle of Galatians is my epistle. To it I am as it were in wedlock. Galatians is my Catherine, the name of his wife. Martin Luther carefully studied Galatians and was submissive to its writing. And it was mainly through the, this book that Martin Luther surrendered his life to Christ, realizing it was by faith through grace you're saved and not by trying to keep the law or do good works, which the thousand-year Catholic Church up to that point had taught and said this is what's necessary for salvation. Merrill Tenney, a great New Testament scholar, said this about Galatians. Christianity might have been just one more Jewish sect, and the thought of the Western world would have been entirely pagan had it never been written. Galatians embodies the germinal teaching of Christian freedom, which separated Christianity from Judaism and which launched it upon a career of missionary conquest. It was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation because its teaching of salvation by grace alone became the dominant theme of the preaching of the reformers. So who is the author? Well, the author is the Apostle Paul. Even some liberal theologians attribute this book to Paul. The internal evidence for the book, we see Paul's name in verse 1. We see him in 5.2 as well, mention his name. Most of chapters 1 and 2 are autobiographical and harmonize consistently with the events of Paul's life recorded in the book of Acts. The theology of Galatians matches the theology of Paul as taught in other writings, such as the book of Romans. And even the postscript, he says in Galatians 6.11, I write this with large letters, reminds us that this is from Paul. The external evidence for Paul's authorship of Galatians is also convincing. <clears throat> in the second and third centuries, Galatians was attributed to Paul by these early church fathers, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria in origin. Even the heretics of the time, such as Marcion, attributed this book to the Apostle Paul. It must be concluded that no real doubt existed in the early church, nor should any exist today, that Paul is the author of Galatians. Now, the date, it was written in either 48 or 49 AD. And I could spend 10 minutes with these two views, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give you a little detail here, though. Those who identify the recipients of Galatians as believers in the southern cities of Galatia generally consider that the epistle was written from Antioch of Syria in about AD 48, just before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, where Paul confronted Peter. And we'll get into that as we go through this book. And while some chronological problems remain with this view, as one commentator states, it's probably the best view of the available options. 
And then some say it was written in 49 AD. Paul refers to visiting the cities of Galatia during a famine relief visit in Acts 11, which is what Paul is talking about in Galatians 6. And then the church was planted in 48 AD. So he wrote this after being there. So some say 48, some say 49. Well, we'll just say 48 to 49 AD. And then the place, as I mentioned, it was Antioch of Syria that he wrote this epistle. And then the theme, the theme, the Christ followers deliverance from the bondage of sin and legalism leading to a life of freedom in Christ. That's what we're going to keep coming back to as we go through this book. That's what Paul wants us to see, that we're not bound by the Old Testament law, that we're not bound by traditions, but we're free in Christ in the spirit and the written word of God. So what is the purpose of Galatians? There's four things in your notes there. First of all, to share the true gospel and Paul's authority as an apostle. To share the true gospel and Paul's authority as an apostle. This is so important. We'll see this in the early pages of this book in a minute when we get to verses one through five. But apart from Acts, Galatians provides the most information about the apostle Paul's life before his first missionary journey. Another purpose is to understand how grace and law interact with the gospel leading to salvation. Indications from this letter show that the Galatians had believed previously the gospel that Paul had gave them, that was given from the apostles, but they're now moving into the realm of adding to the gospel and becoming Jewish, Christian Jewish legalists. So what do I mean by Christian Jewish legalists? Well, some of these folks some say they're Judaizers. They, they could be called Christian because they had some degree of acceptance of Christ but were not true believers. They could not be persecuted for the cross if they rejected Christ. And so they did not want to be known in that way. They could be called Jewish because they followed the law of Moses. They were legalists because they required the Gentile converts to keep the law. Some in the church of Galatia who are Messianic Jews were adopting Old Testament practices in Galatians 3, including circumcision, Galatians 5, and festival days in Galatians 4. They were adding these things to the practice of following Christ, and Paul viewed this legalism as adding to the gospel and becoming a false gospel. We'll read that in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1 next week when we get to that. But Paul is giving clear instruction here in this book on the role of the law as he did in Romans for the New Testament believer, that we're now under grace and not the law. But Paul goes on to explain how the gospel of grace and justification by faith goes along with God's previous revelation in the Old Testament. And we're not negating the Old Testament. You need the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. And we know that Christ came and fulfilled many of the things, including the law in the New Testament. And we know that some of the prophecies in the Old Testament for the Jews and end times are still about to occur. But it gives us a lens to understand the Old Testament through this book. And then thirdly, to understand how the Christ-following Jews and Gentiles act as one in Christ. You have to understand, and we'll see throughout this book, that for thousands of years, the Jews were told not to have anything to do with the Gentiles. They called them pagans. They called them heathen. And now in Ephesians 2, when the cross came, the wall of hostility is torn down and Christ 
brings together the Gentiles and the Jews to make one new man in Christ. And Paul discusses the relationship of the Jews with the Gentiles in the book of Galatians. And while this topic is covered in more detail in Romans and Ephesians, Galatians says that even though Jesus was thoroughly the Jewish Messiah in Galatians 4, he brings blessing to the Gentile believers as well as the Jewish believers. He talks about the Holy Spirit. He talks about how we're adopted as sons and daughters. It's because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Jews who believe are blessed. So then the message, as it always was through the Old Testament, was to go through the Jews to reach the Gentiles for Christ so that they can receive God's blessings as well. We see that Romans 15, Galatians 4. And the last purpose is understand the contrast of walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. He lays out the differences when we get to uh, chapter five, chapter six. Paul's evidence for a true Christ follower as explained to the Galatians is the reception of the Holy Spirit into their lives. In chapter three, the promise of the new covenant coming upon them as predicted in the Old Testament in Galatians three. Unique to Galatians is the command to walk in the spirit. We don't see that anywhere else but in Galatians 5.16, and then the fruit of the Spirit in 5.22 through 23. Much like Romans, Paul teaches an adoption by God of his children and the receiving of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 4 and in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. So who was Galatians written to? Well, it's unique because it's not just one church. This is a circular letter. The churches of Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, and Pisidian Antioch, which consisted of Jewish and Gentile Christ followers. Okay? So these four towns in southern Galatia, in a minute we're going to look at a map, but fill in these blanks, they contain Jewish and Gentile Christ followers. Now let's look at the map here. And you see at the bottom there, the southern part, you'll see... Iconium, you'll see Lystra, Derby, and Pisidian Antioch. The epistle of Galatians was addressed to the churches of Galatia. This is a region. Where was Galatia and who were the Galatians? The question is complicated by the fact that Galatia had two meanings when this epistle was written. First, it referred to the area of Asia Minor where the Gauls had settled after migrating from Western Europe through Italy and Greece. The territory was limited to the north central and the east central areas of Asia Minor. But second of all, in 25 BC, this kingdom was converted to a Roman province when the Roman Empire came together and the territory to the south was added, including the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So understand that this is a regional letter for four different churches to be passed around. So what are the key verses? Usually there's just one key verse, but... And the primary one is Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. But I've added two more verses because he goes off in some very important other areas where nobody else talks about in the New Testament. In Galatians 5.25, he said, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And in Galatians 6.2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So those are the key verses. We'll keep coming back to Galatians 5.1 as the main one. And you see the outline of the book up there as well to give you an idea. Paul's defending his apostleship. He was attacked by the uh, Christian Jewish legalists. He was defending justification by faith in chapter 3. He illustrates it. He shows, he demonstrates justification by faith in Galatians 4. And then he defends Christian liberty and what that entails and the boundaries of it in chapters 5 and 6. And then he concludes his study. Well, like most of Paul's letters, he follows the same format. If you study the book of Ephesians, for example, you read chapters 1, 2, and 3. And it's all the why and the doctrine and the foundation. And then in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he gives you the practical steps to build on on what you've just studied. In Romans, if you read Romans 1 through 11, he gives you the why. He gives you the doctrine, the foundation. 12 through 16 is all the practical. And so when we get to Galatians 5 and 6, we'll see the practical aspects of what he lays out in the first four chapters. So I hope you have your Bible open. We're going to turn now to the greeting. This is the background, the context. This gives you a picture to better understand, to kind of see through uh, history, through God's lens, through Paul's perspective, through many different ways of why Paul wrote this letter and why it's important and applicable to us today. Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 5 for our scripture reading today. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray as we get into God's word. Father, open our eyes, illumine us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to uh, be sensitive to what you want to teach us today, to be obedient, to take something away that would be applicable to our lives as we live on Monday through Saturday out in our culture. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that we can come and gather around it and read it and study it together. Let it have its work in our lives, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, point number one for our short time introducing the letter by Paul is Paul's answering those who are questioning his authority. Paul's authority. He's going to go in more detail later on in this book, but we see in Galatians 1, the first part of verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ through Christ and God the Father. He was an apostle appointed by, and that's a key phrase, their word, by. He was an apostle appointed by God. Right out of the gate, Paul is defending his apostleship. Notice, unusual for Paul, he doesn't really give much of a greeting. He gets right to the issue in this book. The reason these Christian Judaizer legalists were attacking the authority of Paul. One way to attack the truthfulness of a message is to attack the messenger. And that's what these false teachers were doing. They were making the claim that Paul was a self-appointed apostle and had no divine calling on his life. 
And Paul is saying right out of the gate here that he is an apostle. Now, what is an apostle? Well, there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. Someone who proclaims the truth to the Jews and the Gentiles. Someone who in the early church, as it was growing, helped to formulate doctrine and practices and church polity, which means how to function as a church. But the 12 apostles that were called apostles, two things set them apart. They were alive during the time of Christ, and they witnessed the resurrection of Christ and saw him in his resurrected body. That's why today when you hear of a person calling themselves an apostle, that's not a true apostle. He had to be alive, a contemporary of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.5, Paul defines his apostleship. He says, and that Jesus, this is after Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, talking about himself, as do one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. He called himself an apostle, untimely born, due to his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He lived his life before and after his conversion with a heart to please God. See, he wasn't a hypocrite like the Pharisees. Before Paul was born again, before he encountered Christ, he thought he was doing the will of God by persecuting the Christians. He had a pure heart. If you read in Philippians where it talks about he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a follower of the law, blameless, and so on. He had a heart for pleasing God. And when he received Christ, all that transferred over and we see his zeal now to do what God wants him to do. And so Paul spoke from firsthand legalism that he experienced, firsthand grace and firsthand revelation from God. More than any other apostle, Paul understood the bondage of the law and the freedom of grace. Thus, no one is probably more qualified to write the book of Galatians than the apostle Paul. He also was an apostle appointed to share the gospel, to share the gospel. He was called for that reason. In Galatians 1, it says, verse 1, who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus called Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles primarily. Now, you know the pattern. If you read the book of Acts, Paul would go out. He was sent out with Barnabas or someone with him. He had an entourage of people, ministry partners. He would roll into town and, uh, you know, either there'd be a riot or revival before he left. And he would go in and the first thing he would do is he'd go to his brothers and sisters, fellow Jews, to the synagogue. He would try to show them from the Old Testament how Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection fulfilled Isaiah 53 and other places in the Old Testament. And then most of the time he was shown the door And then he would go out, as it tells us in Acts, and plant churches among believing Gentiles and disciple them and build the church. We see that pattern. 
At any time, Paul could talk about the resurrection of Christ as part of the gospel. He did not hesitate. We read in Acts 9, after his conversion, that Ananias was told to go and remove the blindness, the things that was creating the blindness in Paul's eyes because of the bright light. And Jesus said to Ananias, go, for Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Think about that. He would be a persecuted apostle. And then we see an apostle appointed by God as witnessed by his companions. Look at verse 2. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. He says, if you don't believe I'm called of God to be an apostle, ask these guys. They've seen God work in my life. They've seen the fruit of my ministry. And so they can testify that Paul had received from God this calling. Paul was chosen by God, not by man, to share the gospel and disciple men and women in the churches there in the Galatia region. This letter, as I said, was a circular letter to be read and shared by several churches. Liberal scholars did not believe that there was anything special or authoritative written or said by any of the apostles or any revelation given to the apostles. The Roman Catholic Church believed that they wrote the Bible and the church has a higher authority than the Bible The church can add or modify teachings and doctrines because the church, not the apostles, are the authority of revelation. But that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the New Testament says. The apostles spoke to the church, not on behalf of the church. The apostles shared with the church the doctrines that come from God. They were never spoken of as apostles of the church, but apostles of Christ. They speak on behalf of God and not the church. Here's the application. We are appointed by God to be his ambassador, to bring the ministry of reconciliation to the lost and to the saved. It's important we understand that we are to share the gospel of Christ with others, but then we are to live it among ourselves. And there's times that the ministry of reconciliation needs to be applied to our relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So in verses 3 through 5 of Galatians 1, we see Paul's calling and heart to share and protect the true gospel. Paul's true gospel. Look at verses 3 and 4. Grace to you. We see a little bit of an introduction here and a greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We see Paul talking about the heart of the gospel. And that's what beat within Paul, the heart of the gospel. Paul gives a simple summary of the gospel here. He says grace. Grace is the source of salvation. Peace is the result of salvation. We're justified, as it tells us in Romans, with God when we turn our lives over to Christ through grace, by grace through faith. And so we have peace with God, but then in uh, Philippians 4, 7, it says, then we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding as we bring our prayer requests to him. So we can have peace with God. We can have the peace of God. Both grace and peace flow from God the Father and Jesus Christ. The problem with a works-based salvation is that you don't need grace and you don't have peace. You don't have assurance that you've reached or have the benefit of eternal life. 
You don't have peace with God. You don't know that until you think you've done enough good works and you won't know that until you get to the next life. But with grace and peace, he's saying we can have that assurance and that understanding. In verse four, we see that Jesus gave himself for our sins. Salvation is found in trusting by grace and faith in the finished work of Christ and not some form of legalism in which one is to follow a certain formula or law. And then Paul lays out the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to deliver or rescue the lost from their life in this present age. I love that Greek word deliver. It means to rescue from anger. Age is not a chronological time, but a transitory period until Jesus returns and sets up his millennial kingdom. You see, this evil world means Satan's world system. This system that's in effect today began in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And it continues, and it continues to grow, and God allows Satan to influence this world until Jesus returns, set foot back on the Mount of Olives, and sets up his rule and reign once again. The gospel delivers us and brings us into God's kingdom for the here and now to live, but also for all of eternity. In Ephesians 5.16, Paul said, making the best use of the time, because why? The days are evil. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it's so exciting to know that we are not appointed for wrath. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. All the things that are going to happen on this earth in judgment, we will be spared of those things. And then we see the source, the source of the gospel. At the end of verse 4, we see the source of the gospel according to the will of our God and Father. And it's all rooted in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him Self up for us all, will he not also graciously give us all things, a divine nature to live this Christian life because he gave himself to die on the cross. In Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Jesus said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. John MacArthur has said about this section of scripture, we are delivered by the sovereign, gracious will of God. Amen to that. We are saved by his gracious will and he is sovereign. We see that Paul finishes with a doxology, with a benediction in verse 5. He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He praises the one who made salvation and our existence even possible. What an amazing saving God. Paul's heart was to do all he could for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, great verse to memorize. Something to apply to every area of your life. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that was pretty much Paul's mantra. And Paul closes verse 5 with amen. We think of it meaning so be it. Affirming the worthiness of God to receive all honor, all glory for delivering us and providing for us salvation. An old-fashioned Cantonese-speaking Christian says at the end of his prayers, quote, Shing Sam Sho Yuen, end of quote. 
which means with all my heart, this is what I wish. With all my heart, this is what I wish. And that is very close to the Hebrew meaning of the word, amen. So here's our application. We are to rejoice every day that we've been delivered from bondage to sin and can praise the Father for making it possible. A good summary statement as we think of our salvation. I hope you never get over your salvation. I hope you think about it through the week. I hope you think about where you would be without Christ. I hope you think about what your life was like before Christ and see how he's changed your life. To rejoice that we're delivered from the bondage of sin and can praise the Father for making it possible. So as we begin the book of Galatians, I'll leave you with this key thought of the week. May we go with the authority of Christ to share the power of deliverance with those who have spiritual needs. At the end of the service, we often say the words from the Great Commission. And he says, I am with you always. We have the authority to go out in Jesus' name to share the gospel with others. So here's some questions to ponder this week as we prepare to pray. Do you go out with boldness and authority to share how the good news has transformed your life? Do you go out with authority based on your gratitude for the Father and Son providing the gospel for all to hear? And will you praise God each day this week for the gifts of grace and peace in your life? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the liberating freedom that's shared throughout the pages of this book of Galatians. Lord, may myself and others find victory over some areas of sin that maybe they've battled with for years. Maybe, maybe they've had victory over something for decades and then it creeps back into their lives like it has mine. I pray that you help us to dig deep into your word and to apply it to our lives, not just gather head knowledge about this, but allow it to permeate our souls so that we can live in that resurrection power that's given to us, that divine nature that's within us, that we can see deeper growth, more movement to becoming more like Jesus Christ as we go through the pages of this section of scripture. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.